dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Hey, welcome folks to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, the effervescent, always helpful, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Else? (laughs) Oh, you froze up on me. (laughs) Yeah, it keeps doing that. I don't know. It's probably my internet lagging. Folks, I give Kayleen a a hard time all the time because, um, well, we've known each other long enough that I can. So, (laughs) hey, so what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, Let's see. um, I've been to the dentist twice this week with the boys. You know, that just doesn't (laughs) sound like it's fun. Chance had six cavities, which isn't surprising since they've been home since March and they don't brush their teeth. <laughs> They're lucky if they get a shower. <laughs> it's just kind of been free range around here. And they were between the teeth. That's why there was six of them. Oh. Two teeth, whatever. So they did one side of his mouth and did the other side of his mouth. And he wanted me to go in with him today. And I was like, nope, you're going by yourself. Go. <laughs> oh, you're mean. <laughs> he can do it. He's done it before. <laughs> sink or swim little buddy sink or swim yeah well hey we um we saw a lot in the news the last couple of weeks um first off uh the fight over the u.s postal service i tell you what i have um seen a lot of things in my in my time kayleen uh, a couple of years back they were trying to close some rural post offices because they thought they were caught, you know, trying to be cost effective. And now you have uh, postal machines, sorting machines being, you know, not replaced and taken out. And, and you have a uh, post office or post boxes um, being taken up in, in local neighborhoods. And it's not exactly an ideal thing for people to be doing. And I think what, what irritates me the most is, our company, our livelihood kind of relies on the postal service, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. And I know when they changed the mail being sorted in Dodge City and moved it to Wichita, it put a kink in things. Well, and to be fair, the sorting machines that they're taking out of these distribution centers, um, they don't deal with the bulk mail, or our, um, our mail for our publication. They deal with sorting mail um, that you would get for your, your household, you know, your, your letter yeah, and such. Used to, you could mail something from Dodge city to garden city and be there the next day. Now it takes three, four days. Well, and, and people wonder, you know, why can't the post office be, uh, why can't it make money and, and why can't it be like FedEx and, and UPS? Well, here's the deal, kids. The post office is actually guaranteed to us in our constitution. Because being able 
to have um, a service like that of uh, mailing items, getting items from one person to another was deemed necessary to the young developing nation and to the the nation that we are today. We we have to mail, be able to mail things. Think about all of the the uh, the different items that you get in your mail today. You know whether you're still getting your your physical bills in the mail, um, whether it's just a card from your grandma. There's a lot of mail that goes through every single day, and we couldn't do that if you didn't have that guaranteed by hey, it's guaranteed by the government, right? Right. Um, I I think what bothers me the most, Kayleen, is is the post office. You know, I don't know how it was back here, but back at my hometown, the rural route carriers were spouses of farmers. That was a good job. If you were delivering the mail, that was a pretty darn good job and brought in some some benefits and everything to the farm household. Returning veterans, they are the largest amount of, of people that are hired at the U.S. Post Office are returning veterans. And that's a good job for for folks that, you know, have served our country. Uh, but, um, the VA medical shipments to our rural veterans who are four hours, you know, some in some cases away from a VA center. Um, the High Plains Journal, like we said. Now, I know it's a little bit frustrating for you with the post office because <laughs> you have, um, you don't have a physical mailing address. You have a post office box. Yeah, so when when I moved back home from from uh, my first job and didn't know where I wanted to live, didn't have a place to live yet. I just got a PO box in town. I was in town every day anyway, so I just got the the PO box. And when we finally did find a place to rent, it was north of Cimarron, and I was still in Dodge every day. <laughs> so I kept the PO box and didn't mess with the changing of the address and just kept it that way and have had that. P.O. box for 17 years. Moved our, out here. The post the postmaster actually called me and said, you know, if you want to put a po- put a mailbox out here, you need to put it here. And the traffic on this road out here isn't a lot, but it's kind of sketchy sometimes. And I just didn't feel comfortable with the mailbox sitting out there and nobody being home and nobody being around. And so I never got a box out here. And I ordered something earlier this year, I think it was from Amazon, they wouldn't take the P.O. box. So I just put my postal address in, thinking, you know, maybe they'd send it UPS or FedEx or something. And oh, no, they sent it to the post office. And the postmaster in Wright, Kansas does not like me. She will send my stuff back because evidently I made her mad a long time ago when I didn't put the box out here. And she's had to deal with my mail, whatever. I've left my phone number with her before and they have my forwarding address. So it's not like I didn't do my due diligence, so be not be a nice human being, and she's not. <laughs> Bless her heart. <laughs> so usually I have it sent to my P.O. box, and if not, it was easy when it, we were in the office because I could send it to the office. <laughs> and I've sent it to my mom before, so no. it is what it is. You know, um, I, I just, I look at things like that, and there may be there may be perfectly fine reasons on, on some level. I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to, to whoever's making those decisions. What bothers me is the communication of those decisions. 
and the sheer fact that it does not look well when you're right before an election, when you're right before, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic and people are staying home and they're using the postal service more than they have in the last 10 years. It doesn't look good when you're like, yeah, we're going to start pulling back on the services we offer. And we're really going to make it more difficult for you to use a service that is guaranteed by the constitution of the United States. Not really good optics there, kids. I'm just saying, could have done it better. (laughs) Um, Hey, let's well, talk about if they, oh. if they operate anything like the, the right Kansas post office, then I can see why they do things the way they do. Cause they're only open from like eight 30 until noon. And then maybe in the afternoon, one day a week, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's another, but that's another thing to talk about. You know, we, we have striven, we, we've strived, we have tried <laughs> to keep our rural post offices open because they are so vital And in order to do that, they've had to really curtail on their hours of service. And I just want to go, your hours of service have to work with people's hours of work schedule. They just do. You know, that package, the only way I would have got it, if I was still working in Dodge City, I would have had to take a time out from work to go get the dang package instead of picking it up at my convenience. Yeah. Which... not everybody has flexible schedules like we do. Right. So there's a way to have this service that and update it for today's work environment for today's population. There is. Um, and those answers may not make people happy, but at the very least, you know, the people that expect the post office to make a profit, does the US Army make a profit? No, but they're guaranteed under the Constitution, you know. Um, we don't have for-profit education guaranteed under the constitution. I mean, there's, there's things that look, they're not going to make a profit just is what it is. USDA doesn't make a profit, but we have it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's, let's flip over to something good. Uh, this week, the 19th was the 100th anniversary of the 19th amendment. Um, that's, Pretty awesome, uh, pretty awesome that 100 years ago, women were granted, quote unquote, the right to vote. Um, it always bugged me when people talk about women were granted the right. And I'm like, well, the right was always there. It was just recognized 100 years ago by the men that were in the halls of, of power. But OK, you know what? Yay. We'll, we'll use your terminology. <laughs> um. You, t- you you um you were like me you had grandmothers that probably were around in the 1920s who saw that happen in real time did they ever talk to you about that not that i remember i mean my husband's grandma she always helped with the elections and did the checking of people in and you know giving them their their voted stickers and all that stuff but it was never really i mean it was a big deal but it was never that big of a deal. They weren't suffragettes. No, <laughs> nothing so, like that. So both of my grandmothers would have been teenagers about the time that uh, the 19th amendment was, was ratified and um, neither one of them were suffragettes. However, uh, both of them in their own special way were very, in, were very instrumental in making sure that their children and their grandchildren went and voted 
and made sure that their voices were heard. My grandma, um, again, both good Christian women who, you know, kept a house and home and made sure their kids were clean and fed and, and behaved properly. Um, they embodied everything that women of their generation strove for. Um, my grandma on my mom's side always had a job outside of the house just because she lived through the 1930s and she, she knew what it was like when there was more month than there was paycheck. And so, um, she worked outside the home to make sure that they didn't ever have that in their house. And, um, I remember her telling me and my sister always get your education. And when it comes time for voting, you make sure that you know who the candidates are, who, what they stand behind and don't ever let anybody else tell you how to use your vote, whether it's a husband, whether it's your father, or some organization you belong to, you make your decision at the poll. And I always thought that was interesting because she and my grandpa always seemed to be in lockstep. But the older I get, Kayleen, I think honestly, she probably canceled out his vote on more times than we can actually count. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's okay. Um, So congratulations on the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, and uh, thanks to all those women that went before us. And if you are just hearing about the suffragette movement, maybe do a Google search this week, guys. (laughs) Learn a little bit. Um, Okay, so working from home is ending next week for us, Kayleen, where kids are back in school and the journal is, is kind of coming off of summer break, as it were. <laughs> we'll see how long it lasts. <laughs> you stay in your office, I'll stay in mine, okay? And we'll just, uh, we'll just stick to that, that plan. What are you going to miss about working from, not working from home five days a week? My car probably won't miss the, <laughs> the rest that it's had here recently. And because I usually come home at noon and let the dogs out and I don't know. If I'll still keep doing that or, you know, hauling the boys around to whatever they've got going on or whatever. And it was easy to, you know, wash a dish here and there or start the laundry or do something like that. And when we, all the horses are turned out down south, so there's no horses here. But when we had goats and other stuff to take care of, it was easy to walk out there and take a look at the, at the stock and see who was still standing and what needed to be done. And which child needed to be yelled at. I bet you your puppies are like Maggie and they're going to be very unhappy that um, their humans are going back to the office. <laughs> yeah, I think so. They've had some practice this week, you know, with us going to the dentist's office. So <laughs> they had a little taste of it. Yeah, Maggie has, um, Maggie doesn't do anything but sleep during the day. That's basically it. The dog doesn't like to play with toys. She naps. She's, she's pretty much a cat in a dog body, but if you leave her, she'll, um, well, she revenge poos. <laughs> I don't know if there's any other way around it. Uh, you know, Garrett, the fella calls it something different, but we can't put that on the radio. Um, <laughs> we can't put that on the air, uh, but the revenge poos are what's going to drive me nuts. Basically <laughs> she, you know, you're going to leave me. <laughs> I saved it up, kiddo. There you go. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to go back into the office. 
for everybody that's out there with your kids going to school or you're returning to your own office spaces or venturing outside of your bubbles and starting it all up again, good luck out there. And, um, you know, just kind of remember Kayleen's rule, stay the hell away from me. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to teach Sean today at the dentist office what personal space was, and he didn't quite understand that because he wanted to see what was going on on my phone. And I stretched my arms out and I'm like, there's a thing called personal space. This is mine. Get the hell out of it. (laughs) Do moms, are moms allowed personal space? (laughs) This one is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, we'd we'd be kind of remiss if we didn't talk about uh, the Iowa derecho, derecho, um, right, Kayleen? Yeah, it sounds like they had a bunch of crops destroyed and lots of trees down and lots of damage to grain storage and all kinds of things. Yeah, we've been monitoring the the reports that are coming out of there. It's kind of difficult since we don't have anybody on the ground. And right now it's really tough to get people on the ground from other places. You know, typically a, a news department would send somebody, you know, you'd fly them on a plane and you'd get them a hotel room and, and you would get them sorted out and they're on the ground and they'd be able to do some reporting. Well, kind of tough when your company, you know, says, okay, no unnecessary travel, or, you know, you got to be careful about your travel and can you even find a hotel room close by, or are you going to be a state away and having to drive in? And there's a lot of logistics that go from those reports on the ground. Um, our hearts go out to the, the families and that are devastated by this. We'll have an interview later today on the on the podcast with uh, one of our um, readers in that area who was directly impacted. Our, our editor, Dave Bergmeier, talked to him. I, I got to say, Kayleen, uh, you know, at least with hurricanes, you get at least a three-day advanced warning that the wind and the rain is going to come. You know, people are able to board up, you know, buildings and such and, and brace. But this was, you know, this came out of the blue. There was no tornado warning. A a derecho is a straight line wind that has the force of a hurricane behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, What, where are we at? Like 19 million acres or so of corn that's, you know, a month or so away from harvest is down and out now. Yeah. I think they could even see the, the satellite from the satellite radars. They could see the, the destroyed crops in the path of the storm. Well, and all of that on-farm storage that's been destroyed, that is, you know, millions and millions of dollars in in the infrastructure today. But you got to think next year's crop, you know, what were they going to do? They got to get it fixed before they they put in next year's crop and and bring that out. That has direct impact on everybody's marketing decisions, because if you can store your own grain, you can wait a little bit for a better price. You can do some forward contracting. You can make better decisions as far as risk management. If you don't have your on-farm storage, you're at the whims of the, of the cash market, essentially, I guess. It's going to be tough, really, really tough for those people to get back what was lost. And this is after you know, many parts of Iowa and that part of the country had massive flooding and prevent planning last year. It, it, you know, this is the two, the 24 months that just don't stop giving to Iowa. (laughs) 
Bless their hearts. It can stop anytime. (laughs) You know what, 2020, you can just, uh, you can see yourself out the door anytime (laughs) now. And don't let it hit you on the rear on the way out. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, at this point, Kayleen, I am this close to buying Halloween candy, um, pumpkins, uh, putting up a, a Santa giant inflatable Santa in the front yard, um, buying a Thanksgiving turkey and lighting a crap ton of pumpkin scented candles and who hooies if it'll just get 2020 scooting out the door faster. <laughs> you keep that in town. <laughs> Is there a voodoo ritual for making a, a year go faster? Does anybody know? <laughs> I'm sure somebody has a has a plan for that. One thing right after another. And those poor people in Iowa just, we laugh, we chuckle, but folks, that's our answer to a lot of things is, is that's how you deal with it sometimes is just look at it and raise your fist and laugh. That's all you yeah. can do. So. Yeah. And speaking of 20 years, Jenny, yesterday was your 20th anniversary at High Plains Journal. Yeah. I, uh, was never going to live in Western Kansas for more than three years, Kayleen. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are 20 years later. (laughs) I figured after year seven, I I figured, you know, I probably ought to buy a house (laughs) because I'm just, you know, renting and that's stupid. So I bought a house then I met a fella. Darned if this country didn't, didn't uh, grab me and keep me here. There's something, I tell you what, there's something about Western Kansas that is pretty okay. You know, the dry, the dry heat. (laughs) Yeah, it's a dry heat. Actually, I I can't go back home now in the summertime and not melt the humidity back home. It's awful. I realize now it, I I grew up in that Kayleen and that's awful. It's like soup. When I went to K-State and then when I went to Stillwater. Yeah. I about died the first month. (laughs) See, I was the girl from that area that would laugh at the Western Kansas girls because (laughs) y'all melted. Y'all look like, you know, melting ice cream cones and at K-State. We kind of made fun of you. <laughs> What's wrong? Is the heat getting you, princess? <laughs> no, no, it's 20- just the stupid humidity. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, though, 20 years there, um, I didn't expect it to go by as fast as it did, Kayleen. I really didn't. It, it seems like just yesterday I was walking in the door in a skirt and heels and um, bright-eyed and bright, shiny penny, ready to take on the world. And now I'm a tarnished penny, but still ready to take on the world. (laughs) Anyway, hey, you've got virtual open house for your school kids this week, right? Yeah, it's tomorrow, and we'll see how that goes, because... yeah. And you have two kids, so how can you watch it at the same time? Whatever. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather take my chances at the school, but whatever. Yeah, I know, I know. So how are you folks doing out there? Drop us a line at hbjtalk at hbj.com and let us know. Or call us at 1-800-452-7171. That's right, Kayleen. And hey, folks, do us a favor and head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review if you would. This week's episode will bring you stories you might have missed in the August 17th print edition. We'll have 
our report from the field with our All Aboard Wheat Harvest correspondent, Laura Hafner. And David Brugmeyer brings us an interview with the Iowa farmer directly impacted by the recent derecho and what's the status of the state right now. We'll also have the second part of our farmer panel from the 2020 Pipelines Journal Sorghum U slash Wheat U. All that and Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have the final thoughts. Alta Seeds brings you this week's episode. Alta debuted its iGrowth sorghum line to the U.S. market July 8th in its first ever Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day online. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to register for the second Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day to further showcase iGrowth on October 15th at hpj.com slash sorghum frontiers. Learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Well, folks, many of you are back to loading up the family truckster for school drop-offs again. So charge up the earbuds, tune out that backseat squabbling, and ride with us on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is by Jenny, Back to the Future of Wheat. In 2020, wheat breeders don't have a tricked-out DeLorean or a time flux capacitor to travel back in time. They don't need them. Instead, they're using the recently unlocked wheat genome and a collection of ancient wild Amur wheat specimens to save the future of wheat farming. Today, wheat accounts for 20% of human caloric intake around the globe. But thousands of years ago in the Fertile Crescent, it started as just a plant that ancient man found growing wild and saw that it had potential for a food crop. Jenny caught up with Brian Stephenson, professor of plant pathology at the University of Minnesota, where he explained ancient farmers made selection decisions based on attributes that helped them. For example, he said, maybe those ancient farmers selected one plant over another because it had reduced shattered loss, or maybe one plant produced longer or tastier larger or tastier kernels. Quote, domestication greatly narrowed genetic diversity, Stephenson explained. By using outward appearance or phenotype, ancient farmers who started plant domestication in essence left behind many valuable genes for pest resistance, he added. Yeah, Kayleen, this is really, really cool stuff because as Stephenson explained, you know, the wild wheat had to grow natural resistance in order to um, rust. So we know that we've got stem rust, stripe rust, leaf rust, and those those cost billions of dollars to farmers around the world every year. There's in fact a rust called UG99 that is very prevalent in um, parts of the world. And that if it were to come to American shores, it would be absolutely devastating to the American wheat farmer. Um, it, would, it would make it impossible to raise a crop. And so, um, researchers like Stephenson, uh, like Jesse Poland up at K-State on this team also, as well, they are going back to the table and they're going back to the past and looking at the, the genetic samples that they have from those wild ember wheats and using the genome, P 
peering inside and finding the traits that are that provide natural resistance to wheat rust and able to pull those out and put them into modern bread wheats. And so if they can do this, if they are successful and they have multiple gene resistance that they can put into a modern wheat kaling, not only would it save American farmers money, but around the world, it would save a food crop that is one fifth of everybody's caloric intake. It's incredible. Um, basically, they're using the genome like it's a time machine. And that's really fascinating. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So. I remember when I was at K-State, one of the stories I wrote for the magazine was about them mapping the genome at K-State. I took out to talk to one of the researchers. And that was what, 1999 or 2000, whenever that was? Well, we didn't get the full bread wheat genome until 2018. And it's because it is a hexaploid genome. Actually, there were two wild wheats that bred together and created a wild wheat. And then wild emmer came along. And so you, you basically have three parents in today's modern wheat. And there are 18, I want to say 18 billion, it might be 18 million. Um, there are more genetics or there, there are more, there's more DNA in today's modern wheat than there is in humans. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's the, the genome, the wheat genome is more complicated than the human genome. How incredible is that? And, you know, my dad used to say that, you know, the Bible tells us wheat is the staff of life. In essence, it is. It's one fifth of our calories. The, the genome is, you know, three times as complex as the human genome. Wheat's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's so. pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, speaking of wheat, uh, Aaron Harries, Vice President of Research and Operations for Kansas Wheat, gave us a progress report this week um, at the uh, the Sorghum U and Wheat U that we hosted on August 11th. You can see the story from that on the inside of uh, High Plains Journal's print this week, and you can also catch up with the recordings from Sorghum U and Wheat U at hpj.com slash s-u-w-u. On the opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmar has a column this week, school year represents a new start. A letter to the editor comes from James D. Bradbury, an attorney and a member of the Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association titled Victory in Courts for Texas Property Owners. Another letter to the, to the editor comes from Dave Milligan, president of the National Association of Wheat Growers, titled Importance of Crop Insurance Has to be Reinforced. Contributor David Murray has a story, Ethanol Industry Mobilizes on the 15th Anniversary of the RFS. And in our exclusive coverage of the Sorghum U and Wheat U event, we'll, you'll find several stories covering the wheat side of things. I have a story from Romulo Lulato about the results of his experiments this year, and he shared his findings with attendees virtually on August 11th and 12th. And you'll also find a story from Lacey Newland about a Texas A&M agronomist who highlighted wheat silage, Why Dave Bergmeier has a story, Why Are Worms No Joy for Wheat Producers? And like Jenny said, you can find that all on the website, www.hpj.com slash S-U-W-U. Kayleen, you had a story about the RMA announcing extended deadlines and deferred interest due to COVID-19. Yeah, I caught up with the guy that's in charge of the RMA, and he gave me all the details for that. So you'll have to check the story out to, to see what they're doing. 
And Jenny also has a common ground column this week, taking home with you. RV and camper sales are up during the pandemic, and Jenny shared some of her fondest memories of her family's camping experiences. I think fondest memories, Kayleen, might be putting it a little bit uh, too gently. <laughs> Let's just say they're memories and leave it at that. Yeah. Well, for 20, 20 years of my life, we went to barrel races and my sister had a trailer that had essentially an RV in the front of it. And there was plenty of experiences that we had. That... I, I have one thing to say to all you new camper owners out there that are listening to us. Good luck. You know, um, it, it sounds like it's a great idea. And in theory, everybody thinks it's going to be a great idea. But let me tell you, it takes certain skills that you have got to really work towards. So, um, yeah, good luck. And here's hoping that uh, divorce proceedings don't happen when you get home. <laughs> uh, Lacey Newland brings us a story in the livestock section. Oklahoma Career Tech is offering meat processing classes. And Kayleen, this is something really neat because we know that there is a a labor shortage of people that are able to um, have the technical expertise in, in meat processing. Contrary to what some people believe, you just don't show up with a knife and start hacking away. There's actual training that's involved and, and uh, there's a process there. And so uh, Oklahoma Career Tech looks at, at the job opportunities there and they are, are doing some really great things, training some people to fill some, some jobs, some really good jobs. And, and folks, you can read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal that should be in your mailboxes this week, or you can look for it online anytime at hpj.com. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. High Plains Journal's Cattle U has moved to a virtual event during the week of September 7th to 11th. Don't miss your chance to hear from the top names in the cattle industry and learn how you can bring more value to your herd. Sessions will target all segments of the cattle business, from the cow-calf producer to the feedlot manager. For registration details, visit cattleu.net. It's time for an update from the field with our All Aboard Wheat Harvest Correspondence, brought to you by the Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Underfirth Manufacturing, AgriProceed, Agco Gleaner, and BASF. This is Kayleen Scott with HPJ Talk. I'm here with Laura Hafner of High Plains Harvesting. How are you doing today, Laura? I'm great. How are you doing? It's going. It's it's a <laughs> Friday. <laughs> it's Friday. Thank goodness. Yes, definitely. Now, where is your crew at right now? So, yeah, we've made the big split. Um, half of our crew is up in northwestern Montana, kind of in the Glacier National Park region. We're not that far, but that would be kind of the recognizable name in that area. And the other half of our crew is in north-central North Dakota. And you are not with the crews right now, is that correct? Nope. Unfortunately, I got, um, it was time for me and the children to leave and 
I got home, oh, just over a week ago now, and I just started back to classes here on Monday. I, I teach here at Fort Hay State University, so school's back in session, and thankfully I have all my students are currently face-to-face with me, so I'm really glad under the circumstances that I can be in the same room with them again for the time being. Well, that sounds like it's going to be something that is unusual after being out for so long, but it's good to be back around the students, I would imagine. Yeah, it absolutely is. It was an unexpected, you know, shutdown last spring to go to Zoom, and, and hopefully we'll ride this out as long as we can, and we'll see how far we get. I know the feeling. My kids start school on Tuesday, and I think they're kind of ready to go back, but I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll see on Tuesday I, morning. <laughs> we're in the same boat. We had one, one face-to-face preschool, and then they delayed our start here about two weeks for elementary school, so I have one going back mid next week. So it'll be it'll be interesting for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> now tell me about the crew. Um, how's the condition of the week where they're at? Yeah, it's doing really well. So currently, uh, the crew with Ryan, he's he's currently in North or excuse me, he's in Montana with that group right at the moment. They're right now in winter wheat, and and they're seeing yields anywhere from that thirty to sixty bushel range. Protein is up there; it's at eleven point five to thirteen. So we're really pleased with that. Um, after they finish up winter wheat, they'll move on to spring wheat. It's not quite ready yet; it's still pretty green. So that's that's what they're looking at for the next several weeks up there in Montana. Then my crew over in North Dakota, um, I just talked to him today, our crew lead side over there, and he reported that they're currently in Canola, and it's yielding it's yielding pretty well. He was pleased. Anywhere in that 40 to 50 bushel range, they've gotten in some Durham already. Um, that's spring wheat country up there, and that was pushing clear to 60 to 70 bushels an acre. So the only problem with that crew, um, they keep pushing some green crops. So um, they kind of cut and they cut off and cut and get cut off so they're playing that game right now but they're seeing some really nice yields in that part of the world well that sounds good how's the weather been um they've had a little bit of rain um up there in north dakota from what i understand so they've had a few days off which didn't like hurt anything because they're pushing green wheat anyway uh montana crew they've been they've been running pretty solid so well what's the plan plan next what are they gonna keep cutting or how much longer do they have yeah so um i mean we're kind of at the mercy of nature right now, so hoping things dry down, especially in North Dakota, um, to keep progress because we typically turn around. This is our last stop of the wheat season, both North Dakota and Montana, respectively, and we will turn around and begin corn harvest here in Kansas upon their return. So basically, it's just a switch on caves out type of thing, and um, and away they go. It seems like there's not quite as much wet corn as we're expecting this year. But um, we'll have lots of dry corn. There's lots of fall crop out there. Okay. So you guys still cut through fall harvests, and then then what's the plan? Yeah, typically we'll cut, um, we cut about any fall crop, soybeans, grain, sorghum, corn. Those are typically our majors. Occasionally we'll throw something else in there. The season, depending, of course, we're at the mercy of the weather and how things work out. But typically we finish up right around Thanksgiving. We've gone through the middle of December sometimes. And then as far as that goes, I mean, our guys will be done at that point in time. But as the owners of the crew, it never stops. So even before we finish this season, paperwork begins for next season. We'll have plenty, you know, all the tax prep, all the IFTAs and trucking paperwork and and preparing for our H-2A visas and things like that. So there's always plenty to keep us busy in the off season. It sounds like it. And plus you're teaching. So I am. 
teaching. So yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we like to keep busy at our house, I guess. I'd say so. Well, it was nice to catch up with you, Laura, and catch up with Laura's posts on the blog, allaboardharvest.com, and check out what they've been doing. Have a good rest of the week, Laura. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Well, thanks for that update. And remember, if you want to catch up with our All Aboard Wheat Harvest crews, visit their blog at allaboardharvest.com. And you can also look for their posts in the pages of High Plains Journal each week. All Aboard Wheat Harvest is brought to you by Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Unverfirth Manufacturing, AgriPro Seed, Agco Gleaner, and BASF, who remind you that we're all in this together. Lance Lillibridge is a farmer and rancher in Benton County, Iowa, who has been growing corn, soybeans, and alfalfa. He also raises Red Angus cattle and has been farming for more than 20 years. He lost about 90% of the 1,000 acres of corn he planted earlier this year because of the derecho. High Plains Journal's editor, Dave Bergmeier, brings us an interview with Lance talking about the derecho and the aftermath of cleaning up. Hi, Lance. This is Dave Bergmeier, and I'm calling from the High Plains Journal in Dodge City, Kansas. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Well, I'm doing okay. I probably, we didn't have the weather you had the other day, and that's probably the reason why I'm calling. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> do you have a few minutes to visit? Yeah, I do. I've got a few minutes here. I'm, uh, this is perfect timing. So, I'm at a at a event where Vice President Pence is coming. Oh. I've got about 35 minutes here before he. I need to go in, so this this works well. Okay, very good. Okay, first of all, Lance, where do you farm at? So I farm in Benton, Iowa, which is in Benton County. Okay. Have you farmed there a long time? Yes. Uh, so we've been farming here since about 2003. Are you primarily corn and soybeans? Yes, corn, soybeans, hay, and then we've got a red Angus cow calf herd. Okay. Can you just kind of walk me through a little bit about what, what uh, happened on Monday night? Monday around noon or so. Okay. Um, I, I got a text from a friend that was about 100 miles west of me and said, uh, get ready, the wind's really bad. Okay. And uh, so we kind of buttoned up everything and put stuff under under uh, roof and closed doors and all that good stuff. And then uh, um, all it was, it was about 35 minutes later, the wind started to go and the sirens started going. And so I got the family in the Hmm. and uh it, it just started getting really bad so um, it uh we we went through this in 2011 we had a, a directo come through and it wiped out our farm i mean it literally took it took it out every building but the house wow and grain bins and and we had a uh, 20 mile an hour wind sustained for 23 minutes and uh so that was significant and then you know, it's like I told a guy in 2008, we had a flood 2011. We had a windstorm 2012. We had, uh, the drought. Right. And then, uh, you know, we had a few good years after that. And then, uh, you know, kind of the problem with this deal is we get this new administration and we're excited about new leadership. Right. And, uh, we're all excited about, you know, what's going to happen with agriculture and, and get some promises made and whatnot. And, Kind of things are going the other way all of a sudden we don't we lose trade you know we lose our ethanol right. industry to the refinery waivers 
Right. Um, you know, and then we then we get this COVID thing that comes along, and then all of a sudden we have uh, this windstorm. Well, you know, this windstorm is devastating. Right. I mean, and you just can't believe what's happened out here. Just things are completely, totally destroyed and, and gone, and crops are damaged. But the American farmer is very resilient. Sure. And there's been a really good chance that a lot of guys would survive a windstorm like this. That's, but we got all these precursors to this storm. Right. And so that's problematic now. I mean, there's for the last three years, we've been depressed. Right. Uh, in, in our markets and, and everything. And then not all of a sudden we get this and it's affected about 10 million acres in Iowa. So. Wow. How much of your farm was it affected by? Did it affect all of it or was it, is the. So, so I'm like right on the line. I mean, I, our farm, we've got some wind damage on the crops, but our buildings were okay. We lost a couple bulk men. Um, but for the most part, our farm's okay. But you Good. go two miles south of me. Okay. And my friends and neighbors are completely wiped out. Oh, no. And uh, and that that is one big stretch to the south of me. And then I drove from my place over to Des Moines, and I didn't see one field that wasn't affected by this. That's 100 miles. Wow. Well over a hundred miles, and there's not one cornfield that wasn't affected. What at what stage is it now? Is the corn is it kind of in about? Would you say it's in about the sixty to seventy percent range? Just I just these western Kansas get all you saw irrigated corn basically until the modern era, of course. But this gets to be the really critical time where you make it or you don't with with the production. Yeah. So uh, our four is about the stage of most of the corn, and. Uh, so it's you know the, the kernel's real milky and a lot of this corn is snapped off so it'll never make corn. Right. It's, it's what it's going to do is it's going to make bigger problems for what corn might be standing in the field. You know if we're told that we have to harvest it because of insurance reasons, we're going to have a real mess. Right. Um, we're going to have very poor quality corn and I'm I'm just afraid that a lot of places aren't going to want it and they I mean they're just going to turn us around. We're just going to have a, entirely new train wreck to deal with right it's too bad is there can you cut some of it for silage or is that just kind of it's just already gone well not right now we can't um too wet right be, yeah nitrate be too bad in it. and so i'm i'm sure that there's going to be plenty of corn cut for silage and um but it's yeah it's not going to be a good deal by any means how about your soybeans has it affected them also or are they are they well that's really kind of hard to say. I mean, they got laid over right. pretty good. Um, I think they're kind of somewhat standing back up, but soybeans are hard to stand back up. Right. Um, you get one you know, chance at them, right? That's what I've always heard. They'll lay down yeah. once, but the second time, no no chance. But Right. Yep, exactly. And so I really don't have an opinion on the soybean crop at this point. It's probably going to be the saving grace of the whole deal. I mean, I think we're still going to have okay beans, but we most certainly aren't going to have top end beans. Right. How much of your, how much of your corn crop do you think was it half or I don't want to get, you know, too into your business too much, but how much of it was a, your corn crop? How much of it was affected? Well, we got a thousand fifty acres of corn. Okay. And I got about 900 acres that was infected. Oh man. 90% so, then. Yeah. So there's, and there's, there's folks out there that, I mean, they were a hundred percent. So, 
before the storm, were you really optimistic? I heard that Iowa had some good had some good corn well, potential. Yeah, we had some good corn. Um, now, for our farm, see, we had three other wind events before this, so our corn was already tangled up and twisted up. Oh no! Um, you know, but we so we were optimistic before those wind storms that we had a good crop coming. Right. But uh, my my optimism has been gone for several weeks, even before the storm. Oh golly. <laughs> Well, you're tough. <laughs> I'd be in the tank by now. I'm not. I'm, that's why I leave it to the professionals to raise the crops. I just write about it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's. I tell you what. It's very disheartening. Um, you know, my wife and I scratch our heads and say, you know, how's this all going to work out? You know, we're going to make it. I mean, what's what's going to happen here? You know, with these prices. Now, I, I mean, the grains are having a good day today, but is that going to continue? If it right. does then I think we'll be all right. But if it doesn't, I don't know what to think. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a good deal. No, it sure isn't. Or is the reason you're going to see the vice president, is that is that a political rally or is it more or less to hear about what the to, to well, voice? I, I think it's kind of a political rally, but um, at the same time, he's they're, they're trying to start a farmer-rancher coalition today. Okay. Um, I sit on the Iowa Corn Board. Okay. Uh, and I was asked as a farmer to come over and uh, participate here today okay. for Iowa Corn. So I don't know if I'll actually get to talk to the vice president or if it'll just be there to, you know, have a presence as a farmer. So right. Well, I hope yeah. you get a, I hope you get a chance to uh, visit with him. Do you have crop insurance and all that? Will that help? Although well, the lower prices farmers. suck, I will say that. But at least yeah, they... we, we do have crop insurance. Unfortunately, I mean. We already have to take a 20% loss in order to even start the, the clock ticking on that. So, um, you know, it, it's beneficial, it's helpful, but at the same time, it's kind of one of those, uh, you know, you hope you never have to use it. And if right. you do have to use it, it's not a good deal. Yeah, doggone it. Are you still optimistic then? I mean, even with all this, are you still? Yeah, I guess you could say that. I'm, I'm hoping that we can get in the field and harvest something and, you yeah. know, have something happen but there's a lot of people here in benton county all the way to the mississippi river that aren't going to be able to harvest anything right I mean, they will literally not be able to harvest anything no oh why i wrote something yesterday and i said that you know the magnitude of this storm and the implications from it you know and along with all the precursors before it mm -hmm. have not been realized and uh, it's going to affect this whole country unfortunately yeah. i mean that's you know, if I, my message today to, to Mr. Pence would be, you know, agriculture right now has got a real mess. And we need this administration to set it right. We need to not have these refinery waivers happen. And we need we need this administration to stick up for agriculture. Right. And, uh, you know, we've got the absolute best renewable fuel source there is. You bet. Um, I mean, it's just plain renewable every single year. We're not mining lithium for batteries. We're not mining lead. You know, those things are not renewable. And, and people think, oh, gosh, I could just plug in my car in this outlet. I, I got, you know, right. not buy gas anymore. Well, it's not exactly a renewable fuel, especially if it's coming from a coal-burning plant That's and right. uh, or, or, or a plant that burns natural gas. It's not renewable. And, and the other thing, too, is our ethanol industry. I mean, it's a cleaner fuel than, than the fossil fuel. And... Uh, 
And I'm not saying that we need to eliminate fossil fuels right. by any means. I think that we just need to work more right. together. And, I agree. Uh, well, so it's, 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 I agree with you. It's always a, it's a, it's good to have, you know, you can argue one way or another, but it, you can't go wrong having a diversified energy policy. We've learned that absolutely. 40 years. We've learned that the hard way every time. Right, exactly. You know, we get, get folks that start leaning too far one way or another, and, and it just causes problems. Yeah. Well, and so, but, you know, ethanol is absolutely a, a, a clean source of energy, and our, our cornfields are, you know, they're the best solar panel out there i would agree well we have them out here in western kansas and they've been good because they can feed them to the uh cattle feeders will buy it and that was kind of an yeah. offshoot of it that nobody really thought existed and then you know up in nebraska and iowa you guys always did some of that but not on the big scale and you know you just as as you learn over time but they realize here they could they could actually supply the large cattle feeders yep. with it you know and so that's that's been a great market for byproduct yep. market tremendous byproduct market absolutely the uh the uh, DDGs has just been uh, fantastic. Uh, you know, we uh, export tons and tons and tons of DDGs to different parts of the world, and you know they, they love that feed, and it's, so it's value added. That's yeah, what it is, value added. Well, and, that's uh, the key. You know, I mean, you're making the raw product, but you get an opportunity to sell some things that uh, add to add to your your your, your portfolio, as we say, and to have them taken away. That's that's not good. No, and, you know, there's just no waste with it. And, right. Uh, the things we those are all things we've learned over time, you know. Right, right. Well, Lance, I wish you all the best. I'll save your number. I may give you a call again sometime if that's okay. And and I wish oh, you absolutely. And I wish you the very best. You're you're living the American dream. Keep doing it. All right. Well, thank you very much, and you have a good day. Okay. Thanks, Lance. Take care. You bet. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on August 11th. Corn was up at $3.27. Wheat was down at $3.87. Milo was up at $3.32. And soybeans were down at $7.84. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our Sorghum Marketing and Finance issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes August 24th with a story from Kayleen Scott. And look for additional content online anytime at hpj.com. Thanks again to Alta Seeds for sponsoring this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth Sorghum line July 8th in its first ever Sorghum Frontiers. Virtual Field Day Online. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to register for the second Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day, which will further showcase iGrowth on October 15th. You can do that at hpj.com slash sorghumfrontiers. Learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. 
Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day This country life is for me Ride with us, HPJ Ride with us, HPJ